0: What is love? for all the talk about love during pride month it has actually become a time to denigrate this greatest of virtues and to exalt one of the worst vices pride making this month-long insufferable celebration a time of weeping and gnashing of teeth no god no god please no no which apparently the humanitarian award winners the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are terribly excited about. The end result of Pride is not just the mocking of Christianity, but it's oddly become sexualized children, butchered bodies, and a declining rate. The CDC said overall birth rates have plummeted for Americans over the past five decades. Between 1976 and 2018, the mean number of children ever born per woman declined from three children to two, according to the CDC. And CNN reports that over the past 50 years, human sperm counts appear to have fallen by more than 50 percent around the globe, according to an updated review of medical literature. Could it be? that the unrestrained pleasure-seeking in the proliferation of porn is actually injuring society? Maybe Pride Month has something to do with that? Or nah, better just forget it and just go have sex with whatever you want. The change that we have to see is sometimes the parents and the kids are doing actually really okay. As some in our culture celebrate Pride, oddly we've shifted from responsibility to self-indulgence. Could it be the way that we define love actually matters to a society? Maybe God is love is a way better definition than love is love since that happens to be the most circular definition in human history. And if God is love, doesn't he have the right to set the boundaries for what love actually is? If love is commitment, monogamy, sacrifice, and hard work, it probably doesn't mean this. Last night, I attended Pride Night at the LA Zoo, which included an all-ages drag show. This event sold tickets not only to children, but to infants under the age of two years old and featured performers who show themselves online in bondage, stripping, in kink, smoking drugs, and holding bloody, decapitated heads. Maybe Pride Month can be good after all, only insofar as it can help us go back to the basics to define what love really is. And we'll do that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. These business specialists can not only help you with payroll, accounting, staffing, and so much more, but they can help you with business strategies. They can help put legs underneath your business. Now, how do I know? Well, actually, we use them here at IndieThinker to do our accounting and our payroll for us, and they do a phenomenal job. More importantly, if we're really going to be serious about defining words that actually mean something— Maybe we can get back to like customer service. I know, wild concept. You're used to people grunting at you as you come through the door of Walmart, or maybe getting your order wrong at Burger King and just moving along because you realize it's not worth your time to go back so that they can screw it up again. Now, great customer service may be hard to find, but not with the businesses that we support here at IndieThinker. So if you want, great customer service, if you want a business that cares about the things that you care about and you want to support those businesses, then go over to Anchor today to see how they can help you take your business to the next level. One of the common refrains that you'll hear around this holy month of pride is that love is tolerance. Now, what exactly is tolerance? And when we say tolerance, is that really a virtue that you should that you should exhibit towards the people that you love. Now, perhaps the best way to exemplify this is by showing you what has been taking place in the church for far too long. Because the one place where we fall for the idea of tolerance being love is perhaps there most of all. For the longest time, the left has used tolerance as a tool to try to twist the arm of people who disagree with them and to tell them, well, if you don't agree with everything that I do, or at least stand back and celebrate why I do it, then it is because you are intolerant and you are a bigot. Now, because the Christian church is so afraid of being considered unloving, we have fallen for the idea that in order to be loving, we must be tolerant, but oddly enough, There is not an 11th commandment that says thou shalt be tolerant or thou shalt be nice. Now, it's nice to be nice, of course, but is tolerance just an extortive tactic to try to twist the arm of people to get them to acquiesce in ways that they normally would not? Well, to answer that question, I am going to show you. What is the most ridiculous church service perhaps you have ever seen so here is a beyonce mass just in time to honor pride month here you go california hundreds of folks are going to come here to witness the beyonce mass Because we sing Beyonce in church. (laughs) Holy cow. What can you tell me about the progressive nature of Grace Cathedral? I think a lot of the people who show up tonight are people of color, LGBT people, people on whom other people's narratives have been projected. And I mean, just to be honest, the church hasn't been the best about lifting up those voices. It really began as us saying, how can we actually be the people of God that we hope to be in the world? And Beyonce is the perfect passage to get that message out there. Honestly, I think Beyonce is a better theologian than many of the pastors and priests in our church today. All right, well, there you go. We have come full circle from the martyrdom of Peter being crucified upside down, the beheading of Paul, to the Beyonce Mass, the way to truly show your Christian fidelity. Um, First off, you know, just a statement that's kind of off the cuff here. Uh, that is the whitest Beyonce uh, kind of rendition I think I've ever seen in my life. That that is the cringiest cringe of cringe that I think I've ever that I think I've ever seen. Uh, so congratulations on that one, Church. At least you could do Beyonce better. So let's just put everything you own in a box to the left and just get as far away from that as possible. But the reason we really need to get away from it is not. Because it is so cringingly, awkwardly, awful, and detestably bad, but it is because it actually is vomitous in the mouth of God. Now, obviously, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, but but sincerely, that Beyoncé is a better theologian than many of our modern-day pastors— This idea that the church has diminished voices of color and LGBTQ, like, listen, maybe you think that because you are looking to the patron Saint Beyonce rather than to look to the patron Saint Paul or Peter or that whole, like, the Jesus guy. Maybe if you looked at that, you might actually find what the church really stands for. So this pastor says that the church has not been good at lifting up other people's voices. Well, there we are agreed, my friend, but the prescription here is going to be drastically different because I think that prescribing Beyonce's voice in church probably isn't as good as the voice of God. So isn't that the voice that we're supposed to be lifting up at the end of the day? I find it odd that these pastors are always willing to talk about marginalization, But they never want to talk about scriptural truth. Is it possible that scriptural truth marginalizes identities in this sense? That if you are doing something that is anti-God and anti-Christian, then yes, Jesus is going to marginalize that identity and say that that's not a legitimate one. See, because this church and the true church, the church of the scripture and the church of the culture, are two very vitally different things. This is why, dear friend, you think that there is a war between these two things. There there is in this sense that... The church of the culture or the city of man as opposed to the city of God is always going to be about uplifting contemporary narratives. And the church of God, the city of God, is always going to be about uplifting timeless truths regardless of what people feel about it in contemporary society. That is how a society should hold together, by the way, because if you're merely shifting it based upon the status quo, well, by the way, Uh, The status quo is constantly changing. You know, uh, some things never change, including um, death and taxes, but, uh, but the status quo is constantly changing. So to constantly predicate what the church should be about based upon contemporary society is a lesson in madness. But here's the truth that I hope to get down to the bottom of at the end of the day. These men, if that's what you would call them, are actually only taking the seeker movement to its logical conclusion. In fact, these Beyonce Mass holders may be more logically consistent than some in the seeker-sensitive church because the ultimate idea of the seeker church is to focus your services based upon those who are in the outside world. Now, I understand a lot of people are not willing to go as far as the Beyonce Mass in order to do that, and we're all We're all better for it, trust me. But is it possible that the idea that we're supposed to conform what we do and even how we say things simply based upon people in the outside world, if that idea ultimately infringes upon what we actually teach, well, now we have an issue. Now, of course, there are people who will say that all we're talking about is style, not substance. But here's the problem. Style almost always impacts substance. Marshall McLuhan has this great book called Understanding Media, and in it, he says this. He says, the medium is the message. So maybe when we talk about, like, style and substance or medium and message, we've got it all wrong, because some pastors will say the medium must change to keep up with contemporary times, but the message must stay the same. Maybe in the process of changing our medium so much, we are also changing the message's in ways that we don't realize. And perhaps that's where tolerance really comes in. Maybe tolerance is actually being used as a tool to change what we think about very important issues. Now tolerance means something like the ability to change how you approach an issue so that we can slowly but surely surely change the way you think about it. I mean, I grew up in the 90s. And back then, in 96, we were we were signing into law things like the Defense of Marriage Act, where Bill Clinton was saying, hey, marriage is between a man and a woman. Three years later, he was basically codifying Pride Month in 1999 to be something that we celebrate in the month of June every single month. And then in 2015, fell slowly but surely federalized marriage and then in 2022 by our illustrious President Joe Biden we find that now DOMA has been totally overturned so it took about um, just a little over 20 years for what we think about this issue to radically and drastically change now how did this happen I can't help but wonder if Orwellian newspeak that tries to tell you that tolerance means love is really the way in which we we have started to, to to shift what we think about this actual issue. And by the way, if you don't know, newspeak is a purposeful attempt in the book 1984 to limit the range of thought to control people. See, if you can change what they think about things and limit the way they think about them, you can get them to totally change what they think on issues, and you can change the culture as a result of it. One of the newspeak tactics is doublethink, and that's the, the capacity to accept two contradictory beliefs at the same time. Can we as Christians truly tolerate the pride agenda? In one way, we can tolerate it in that we can accept that it exists. In another way, and more fundamentally important way, We must never accept it as though it is normal. And by the way, that means making sure that in our churches, we are not uplifting the voice of the LGBTQ marginalized person, but we're uplifting the voice of Jesus and hearing what he has to say on it. If you truly want to do something radical, if you truly want to do something edgy and groundbreaking, It wouldn't be Beyonce masses, it would be this, it would be actually standing up for truth because by and large, the seeker sensitive movement, the Christian evangelical church has not been marginalizing people, has not been refusing to hear their voice, but they have been acquiescing to these voices for far too long in such a way that maybe we don't even know what the church we go to believes about the issue of homosexuality because they haven't talked about it ever. So all I'm saying is this, is that this misnomer that the church is intolerant and judgmental and unloving is, is first of all, not true, but second of all, not the goal. The goal is truly to love people, and that's not tolerance. Tolerance is putting up with behaviors that may be damaging to people. Now, in what world is that love? Only in a world where we think abuse of people And their bodies and gender mutilation is actually affirming and loving. See, we can't allow the world to define terms like love for us or else we'll be stuck with things like tolerance. But that's not all we'll be left with. We'll be left with the understanding that love is nothing more than blind compassion, as we'll see in this next story, where we see a borough in New York City that went five days without the police and how that turned out for them. So according to the New York Times, what happened when a Brooklyn neighborhood policed itself for five days? Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, Probably mayhem, probably like the Purge style kind of, No, of course. No, this is the New York Times, so you have to understand. They are going to be radically anti-police. So, of course, they're going to shine a positive light on what took place in the city and try to make sure that they don't highlight anything that was negative throughout all of this thing. But here's what they have to say. It had been a quiet April afternoon until about a dozen teenagers began running up Pitkin Avenue in Brownsville, yelling and cursing. They were chasing a girl of about 14, and it was clear they wanted a fight. Five plainclothes police officers watched warily. Across Pitkin stood about a half dozen men, civilians in jeans and purple and gray sweatshirts. They got it, the officer said. The teenagers slowed as they spotted the men, workers from an organization called Brownsville and Violence Out, who calmly waved them in different directions. They scattered as the girls fled down a side street. The brief encounter encapsulated a simple yet unorthodox concept that is at the heart of a bold experiment. Organizers believe could de- redefine law enforcement in New York, letting neighbors, not the police, respond to low-level street crime. Brilliant. Several times a year, workers from Brownsville and violence outstand sentry on two blocks for five days. Police channel all 911 calls from that area to the civilians. Unless there is a major incident or a victim demands an arrest, officers always in plain clothes shadows the workers. The civilians have no arrest powers, but they have persuaded people to turn in illegal guns, prevented shoplifting, kept a man from robbing a bodega, and stopped a pregnant woman from hitting a boyfriend who had not bought a car seat and a stroller (laughs) as he had promised. Boy. Boy. Start to bring back bad memories, they are part of the Brownsville Safety Alliance, a group of neighborhood and city groups, police officers, and members of the Kings County District Attorney's Office that is trying to ensure that fewer people are arrested and entangled in the criminal justice system. Because, of course, we wouldn't want them to do that. Now, I think it's funny that we're saying that this is five days without the police, but of course, the police are on hand <laughs> everywhere throughout this experiment. So, of course, we're only hearing about instances where both the police are motivated to do something and civilians are motivated to do something. So I'll be the first to just suggest that I am all for civilians actually taking responsibility for their own well-being and welfare. Now, God forbid that we actually talk about the Second Amendment as far as that's concerned, because if we actually want to be truly responsible for the safety of others, maybe might be a question about whether or not the Second Amendment is or a really beneficial thing as far as that's concerned. But let's just be really clear. This is not self-policing. This is policing in cooperation with c- civilians. Now, wouldn't that be something if communities, communities of color... Uh, communities all around the United States actually worked in cooperation with the police rather than fighting the police. Surprise, surprise. Yes, that's a great recipe. But the idea that we don't need the police to enforce low-level crime is totally ridiculous. So here yet again, we see that there is a very thin line for people on the left between compassion and complete stupidity. It is an absolutely suicidal proposition that the community is going to be taking care of uh, violence, assaults, people with guns that aren't supposed to have guns, robberies and all the like. I mean, look at San Francisco on any given day and you will recognize that this is what happens when the police do not take uh, take into account low-level crimes. So by and large, these communities do police themselves because they've been hum- hamstrung uh, by the defund the police movement. So yeah, these civilians are having to get really used to actually doing some of this stuff. Um, on their own because the defund the police movement in New York City especially is creating a major, major issue. But make no mistake about it. Murder, rape, robbery, felony assault, grand larceny and grand larceny of a motor vehicle has increased about 23 percent from 2021 to 2022, according to the New York City Police Department's data. And in 2022, surges in robbery, burglary, and other crimes drove a 22% increase in overall crime in New York City last year compared with the year prior. So that's from 2022 to 2023. So 2021 to 2022, there's an increase in 23% of those crimes that I just named. And then in those crimes that I just named, a 22% increase on top of that from 2022 to 2023. And that's according to the New York Times. So these people are absolutely ridiculous when they suggest that these communities can police themselves. Yes, they're having to do so because the police have been at least diminished or completely hamstrung by many of these communities that don't really want them there. But but more importantly, even outside of the ridiculous notion that we don't need the police for low-level crimes. We just need to, the police for when people are murdered to come in after the fact, like Columbo, and investigate and find the real murderer. Um, I mean, God, these people just watch too much television. Uh, I guess that's better than going out and committing crimes. But nonetheless, um, the idea here is 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 perfectly flawed, but also may be incredibly intentional. This is why we cannot confuse with bleeding heart. Confuse bleeding heart compassion with true love. These people may actually be after something that I think we need to take into consideration. And this is the idea of wokeism writ large. I don't care what Marion webster says wokeism is. Uh, you know, it's not just this super sensitive um, lens towards social justice. What it actually is, is a desire to redefine words and redefine society upon a Marxist bent. So what these people want is to absolutely destroy the country. And there is one way to do that. That's when Marxist journalists go on diatribes and try to defund the police. When one of the few institutions in our society, and one of the few, I believe, real roles of government, which is to institute public protection agencies for its citizens, when you diminish those Those people and those roles, who is standing in the way of those who wish to absolutely destroy a society? Furthermore, if you don't want to get as conspiracy theory as Marxist in the New York Times or Marxist um, in political positions, at least know this that the greatest way for, especially a bleeding heart liberal, to convince people that they are necessary is to create complete crisis. That is to undermine and destroy the structures that are all around us so that we become that much more Needing of the government. So for those who are big government minded people and don't realize that the bigger the government gets, the smaller the person gets. Well, of course, if you show that things aren't working, then people will desperately throw out their brains in the garbage and their thinking capacity and cling to the government to come in and try to save them. And this is what these people actually want. But we can't allow that kind of stuff to happen. It is incumbent upon Christians especially and those with a conscience to not just use bleeding heart compassion, which leads to liberalism, but to use rational compassion. This is something that an author in the book Against Empathy wrote on. Uh, by the last name Bloom, and I think his actual point is is really well founded. Although this person is clearly not a Christian and probably against Christianity, um, but but has some some important ideas that I think are important for us to realize that. His idea of rational compassion is just simply this, that yes, we must be compassion, but we must provide rational answers to this compassion. So when we see that there might be discrimination and policing in certain areas, or we see that there might be maltreatment of a certain people group or whatnot, if that's even really happening, which is all important to, to tease out in the process, if we find that that's happening, a rational solution is necessary. Now, again, I'm not even saying that that's happening because I think that's largely been overblown by the media. I think largely the police are doing the best job that they possibly can given the circumstances that they're in. And much of what happens has nothing to do with skin color. But pushing all that aside, even if it were, the best answer would be rational compassion, not just simple bleeding heart compassion, which means that we would want the police to go into these places equipped and trained and ready for what they will face when they go into these communities. We would need a police force that is equipped to handle these situations rather than to just say, we don't need the police at all. All. There is no way that you could make a defense, um, rationally speaking, that what we should do in communities that are plagued with low level crime, among other things, is that we actually just need to get rid of the police and let civilians take care of it themselves. One last point about this. If civilians were really motivated to take care of this, then we wouldn't have such an issue with the nuclear family. In fact, if fathers were in homes taking care of their kids, then we wouldn't need civilians to be policing other people's children because fathers would be taking responsibility for their own stinking kids. But because that isn't happening, we can already tell that society is a bad solution for taking care of what – what moms and dads, husbands and wives, should be taken care of in their own nuclear families. If we can't trust them to do that, then why would we trust them to take on the job of a police officer when they really won't even take on the job of being a dad? So if that's true, then what we need is more rational compassion and not what our society is calling compassion today. We need authentic love. But if we're truly going to define love, we may need a book. I don't know. A book that really shows what love really is. And a book that says that, you know, God is the best person to define that love since he's the one that created it. But if you're going to come to the conclusion that that book is the best place to find love, you just won't be able to do it with Democrats because it's time for our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of Pronouns. Now, in our final segment today, I don't really know if the individual is a Democrat. In in fact, I tend to think that he is not. I tend to think that this is a well-meaning pastor that has unfortunately stumbled upon Democratic talking points and has allowed them to sink into his church. And through it all, hopefully, I will show you that love is not the kind of virtue signaling that we see in society today, but something vitally and vastly different than that. So here's a pastor at a local church who's had some people come by and vandalize his safe space signs for the trans community. Uh, so obviously those in the trans community have come out, destroyed the signs, but this pastor uh, is pleading with people to recognize that his church is a safe space for trans people. So here's that. A few weeks ago some people came and tore down our signs and ripped them up. They're pretty difficult to rip up, and you can see, It's uh, hard, but you can bend them. They're chloroplast. So we thought to ourselves, you know what? This probably isn't good enough. It moves in the wind, whatever. So we decided to put up some some metal signs. Why? Because we want the entire community to know that they're safe here, including the LGBTQ community. But I want to say this to you. If you're somebody that tore down the signs or would have torn down the signs, that means you'd be safe here too. You'd be included. Maybe meet some people from this community Attend church here on a Sunday morning, and talk with them face to face. You might find out it's really hard to hate up close. It's easy to do it in the middle of the night on a Saturday night, but you'd be welcome and loved here too, and you might just find out that you're worthy of love. So come hang out with us. Now, as good-natured as this guy is, and as simple as his request is, I think it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit misguided, and here's why. He's borrowing the language of the left to communicate to the left, which may not be the worst tactic in the world, except he's technically wrong. See, a safe space is a place where your ideas are affirmed and celebrated and where you will never be threatened in your current way of thinking. And in that way, his church better not be a safe space. And in fact, these people, that's why they're destroying these signs, I think they know better. I think they know that his church is indeed not a safe space. What this well-meaning pastor means is that he wants to be welcoming to those in the trans community, and he wants them to just try it out because he thinks that they'll have a better experience than they actually think they will. That men can come in with their dresses, and women can come in with their short hair, and their, um, and their double mastectomies, and that people in the church will actually love them. Now, by the way, this is true. By and large, people in the LGBTQ community rant and rave about their experiences in church, but by and large I think either they're lying or maybe it was just one bad experience and all of a sudden that means all churches everywhere in the world are going to treat them poorly. Now, regardless of that, the idea is just simply that this pastor wants these people to come in and experience it for themselves before they go on thinking that the church is not a place where they should be. But what these people are trying to communicate by destroying these signs is that we see through what you're, what you're saying. And we see through the fact that you consider this a safe space because, point in fact, those in the trans community especially and more broadly in the LGBTQIA community, I'm sorry to give you this fact check, but the reality is is they don't want safe spaces in the way that you think they want safe spaces. Here's what they want. They want you to celebrate them. They want you to affirm them, and they want you to tell them that their lifestyle is permissible as far as the Scripture is concerned. And if you do that, then you might as well not call yourself a church, and then you can call yourself a safe space. See, by virtue of the fact of actually preaching what the Bible teaches, you are going to make your church a place that is not safe for them. Because what they want is ideological cohesion. They want to be told that what they think is great. They don't want to be changed in their thinking. So in that way, you better not be a safe space for trans people. Yes, safe in the sense that you love these people that come to your church, but not safe in the sense that you are going to affirm what they believe. So here's the point. Stop pandering. Pastor, you don't put signs in front of your churches that say, adultery, um, adulterers welcome here, or uh, porn stars welcome here. By and large, that's not your message. So why is it your message trans people are welcome here? We know what you're trying to do. You're trying to overturn years of the church being um, uh, being bigoted toward the trans community. Listen, it's not true. By and large, the church has been pandering for far too long, and this is why people go around destroying your sign, because they don't actually appreciate who you are and what you stand for. They despise you because they know you're lying to them. So it's time to stop pandering to a quote-unquote marginalized group of people, to hold space for them, as the new evangelicals say. And it's time for us to actually love enough to be honest. I guarantee you the first Sunday that you preach Trans people, I want you to come to the church because today I'm going to talk to you about what the Bible actually says about transgenderism. And the first moment you do that, if any of those guys show up, they will have a much better experience than if you just merely wanted to pat them on the back. Because loving people is not merely affirmation. And our society is realizing it more and more and more. And if you ask me, this is why more and more people are actually leaving the church. Because we think that it's our job just merely to encourage people. But that's not real love. What is real love? Well, it's not just affirming. It's calling out the best in a person. See, just helping a person realize that they're good the way they are is not really that loving because it keeps them the way they are. It doesn't help them achieve any aspirational goal toward being better than they presently are. That's why Aquinas defines love in a much better way than we do in the present day church. Love is not a safe space. Love is willing the good of the other. And if you truly will the good of the other, then you're going to tell them the truth, even when it hurts. People do not respect someone who does not have the courage to stand for the truth. And certainly not the person who doesn't have... They don't respect the person who doesn't have the courage to stand up for what they believe in. They are ripping your signs up because they are smart enough to realize that you're lying to them. You're not standing up for what you actually believe in. And that kind of cowardliness deserves the kind of retribution that these people are giving with these signs. So the point is, is just this. I think the heart is in the right place, but we as the church have to get back to a true understanding of what love really is. If we can't help define it for the culture, then our culture truly will become more suicidal than it already is. As long as you are willing the good of the other, even if you are misunderstood, then bold pastor, bold Christian, keep on pressing ahead. Because even if people resist you to your face because you're not telling them exactly what they want to hear, it's possible that they are listening to you. And in a culture where people are constantly hearing only echoes, it's time for the church to be a real voice of reason and clarity in the midst of the madness. And so... If we want to truly this month make a difference in this world, we could do so by really helping people understand that love is not love, but God is love. Thanks so much for watching. That's all the time we have for today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to go with God.